Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, as we come very close to Christmas, now on the fourth Sunday of Advent, we hear in our first reading about King David. It might be a bit of a surprising story, but you'll see I think it fits very well with the Gospel. We hear that David, who spent his whole life fighting, he was a warrior king after all, is finally given rest from his enemies on all sides. Finally, David is at peace. And so he calls his prophet Nathan and he says, I've decided I want to build a house for the Lord. Listen, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God dwells in a tent. So I, David, want to build a great temple to the Lord. And this sounds pretty good. Nathan the prophet initially agrees with him. Yes, God blesses this project. But then something surprising. God, in fact, doesn't bless the project. In fact, God doesn't want David to build a temple. Huh. It's easy to see when we're in sin, that we're running counter to God's will. Here's something more subtle. Sometimes, even at the best moments in life, when we think we're really on the beam, we think we're really giving glory to God, we might not be doing God's will. It's a very subtle test now of our ability to acquiesce to what God wants. Now, how come God refused David? Yeah, this sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I'm going to build you a great temple. The ark has been in this tent out in the field. I want to build you a temple to which all the people can come. What does God have against this? I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he's punishing David for all of his sins. Maybe it's just not in God's design. Maybe he wants Solomon, David's son, to build the temple. I don't know. Maybe he thinks David's ego is too wrapped up in the project. Can't you see it? King David's temple. For all the centuries now, they'll say, David built that great temple. I don't know. But God didn't bless the project. God didn't want it. I've spoken to you often before, using von Balthasar's terminology, of the ego drama versus the theodrama. The ego drama is the one written, directed, and starring me. My projects, my plans, my desires, even, now listen, even when they sound exalted, even when they appear to be very holy things, it's still the ego drama if it's my life behind it, my desires behind it. Then there's the theodrama, God's drama, the one he's writing, directing, producing. The whole point in life is to abandon the ego drama and to find your role in the theodrama. Here's a great line from Thomas Merton. It's in a famous prayer he wrote. Merton said, Lord, even though I think I'm following your will, it doesn't mean I'm actually doing so. Wow, it takes a great humility, a great intuition to utter a line like that. 
Lord, even those times, like in David's case, even those times when I think I'm doing your will, it doesn't mean I'm actually doing so. Good. That's a check on the ego drama. In the Ignatian exercises, of course, one of the exercises is to imagine a battlefield. There's the army of Satan on the one side, the army of Christ on the other. Ignatius says, if you join Satan's army, he'll make you a field marshal. He'll put you in charge of the whole operation. He'll fill you with glory. Of course he will. That's how the ego drama works. Your role in Christ's army might be digging latrines, you know? But the point is, that's the army you join. Acquiescing to God's will. Acquiescing. It's the whole story of the Bible. Now, the church asks us to read our gospel in correlation to that first reading about David, and you'll see why. It's the wonderful and familiar story of the Annunciation. One of the most oft-depicted scenes in Christian art. Christian artists up and down the centuries have loved this scene of the angel announcing to Mary. What do we find here? Well, angels might strike us as rather romantic figures, harmless figures. Not in the Bible. Judging from the typical reaction to angels, angels are frightening. Listen to how Mary responded. She was, Luke tells us, deeply troubled by the appearance of the angel. Well, no kidding. An angel, a supernatural being from another dimension of experience, comes breaking into our lives. Listen, who among us likes to be interrupted? Who likes our routines to be suspended? No, even when some, something rather ordinary breaks into our lives, we don't like it. It upsets things, our routines, our expectations. Now, imagine a reality from another dimension. Breaking into your world. Coming upon you, overshadowing you, announcing something to you you didn't expect. That's overwhelming. The French have a great word for this. They say, you are bouleversé. It means you're just turned upside down. Well, Mary is bouleversé, I think, by this appearance. That's why she's deeply troubled. And then those wonderful but terrible words. That's to say, terrifying words. Listen. The angel says, You shall conceive and bear a son. Great will be his dignity, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And all this, of course, without the aid of a man. What would have troubled Mary in these words? Well, first the obvious reaction. First of Joseph, and then of the wider community. Suddenly, before she's married, she's pregnant. How will that be perceived? How will that be read? Talk about someone's life being interrupted. Do you imagine the scandal? Do you imagine the embarrassment Mary must have felt, must have anticipated here? But now more to it. We take these words rather for granted because we've heard them so often. Of course, that's part of the sacred story. But now put yourself in Mary's shoes. You're Mary. And you hear from this supernatural reality that the Spirit of God is going to overwhelm you. And the child born in you will be called the Son of God. Can that be anything to you but troubling and puzzling and strange and wonderful? And Of course, she says, how is this possible? Do you like it when 
impossible things suddenly happen to you? Do you like it when your routine is interrupted to that degree? Well, imagine now Mary. Imagine her reaction. To be overshadowed, invaded, controlled utterly by a power beyond your imagining. More to it. Did Mary have any idea of what this would entail concretely? That when she says yes to the angel, it would mean the birth in the stable at Bethlehem. Did she realize, even for a moment, it would mean the massacre of the innocents? Did she realize it would mean the flight into Egypt, fleeing for her life, protecting her child? Did she realize that it would mean participating in the sufferings of this son, even to the point of witnessing his torture and crucifixion? Could she have sensed any of this? Hardly. And yet, at the key moment, at the decisive moment, you might say the decisive moment in world history, she says, yes. I am the handmaiden of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. In our first reading, David, even though he was honoring God, was leading with his plans. Here's my plan. I will build a temple. Mary says, I am the maidservant of the Lord, not my plans. Let it be done to me according to your word. There, Christians, is the great reversal that constitutes the very heart of the spiritual life. David, even when trying to honor God, is still running his own show. Mary lets the Spirit invade her. Maidservant, not commander. Finding her role in the theodrama, not starring in the egodrama. This is why, of course, the church fathers all referred to Mary as the new Eve. What was Eve's problem? It sets the tone for the whole biblical narrative. Eve's problem is she grasps at the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Saying symbolically in that gesture, I will become myself the criterion of good and evil. I will grasp at godliness for myself. God becomes a rival to my freedom. And all of our spiritual suffering flows from that basic move. There's the biblical intuition. All of our suffering, spiritually speaking, flows from that terrible sin. So when Mary says, I am the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. She reverses the momentum of Eden. That's why in a beautiful trick in Latin, the church father said that the Ave of the angel, A-V-E, reverses Eva, E-V-A, Mary the new Eve, but stopping and then reversing the momentum of the original sin. 
Meister Eckhart was a great medieval mystic spiritual writer. His sermons, written largely, by the way, to a woman's religious community, are wonderful and worth meditating on. He says this, Every Christian, every baptized Christian, essentially has the vocation of Mary. Why? Because all of us are called upon to bring Christ to birth. Not, of course, in the literal way that she did, but figuratively, yes. All of us are called upon to bring Christ to birth, first in our own hearts and then through us into the world. We're meant to be bearers of Christ to the world. What blocks it? What we see in Adam and Eve and all the way up through biblical history, through King David to our own time, what blocks it is the insistence of the ego drama. What blocks it is my projects. Listen now, even when they are disguised as something sacred, when they're my projects, Christ is not born into the world. But when, like Mary, we can say, Lord, let it be done to me according to your word, mind you, word, your projects, your plans, your designs, your purposes, Lord. Let it be done to me. Let it be done through me according to that word, not mine. Then what happens is we unleash power into the world. It's a great paradox. It's the paradoxical drama of the Bible. We become more powerful when we render the ego powerless. So now as Christmas approaches, Mary becomes the great Advent figure. She's the great figure of preparation. And everyone listening to me right now, everyone, you are Mary too, to that degree. Prepare yourselves for the coming of Christ by being yourself a bearer of Christ to the world. Become the maid servant of the Lord. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that, together, we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you. Most interment arrangements at the 42 Archdiocese of Chicago cemeteries are made through a pre-need plan. Your thoughtful planning today is economically prudent and contributes to peace of mind for you and your loved ones. Catholic Cemeteries counselors are available at your convenience. For more information, call 708-449-6100. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837.